Hello and welcome to the Extra Time segment this week in the Hooligan Report and I'm joined once again by Cookson and NUFC and we'll be talking this week about some of the crazier owners in the Football League brought on in part by the recent uh, issues surrounding Newcastle United and Alan Pardew with Mike Ashley as their owner and also my own club with our owner Assem Alam but we might start by talking about Newcastle because we were discussing it in the main podcast a little bit earlier and going into a bit more detail now about how Newcastle have fared under um, Mike Ashley. And NUFC, I, I did a bit of research into this because I was a bit interested in, in how it's all panning out. And it's interesting to see that when he first became the owner back in 2007, Mike Ashley was actually quite popular with the supporters because he'd sit with them during games, he'd drink the beers and all that sort of thing. And I believe initially when they wanted him, he, he, they wanted him out, he actually said, well, I've listened to what you said. I'll put the club up for sale. Um, so it's interesting sort of that this time around he's really kind of disregarding the supporters. Yeah, it's a, it's a very funny relationship, um, I guess, we've had under his ownership. Um, uh, our pre- previous owner, um, Freddie Shepard, um, he was not with uh, like some sections of the fans um, due to his, uh, I guess, management of the club. Um, we used to sort of be a bit like Chelsea and shopping, changing managers quite uh, regularly. Um, and financially, we weren't in the best um, state. We were probably overextending ourselves, so there was a lot of concern that the um, uh, debt and things like that were going to cripple the club in the long run. We actually came in and... I think that's oh, actually one of the, sorry, I think that was one of the criticisms of Ashley actually from, from externally was when he came in, he didn't do his due diligence properly and ended up having to chuck a lot of money into the club to pay off its debt because I think, yeah, as you're saying, you're kind of on the brink of a bit of a financial meltdown. Yeah, um, from memory we'd already spent, uh, the money that, um, we'd expected to get from like broadcast rights and things from the, uh, next season. Yeah. Um, due to Ashley's uh, very quick takeover, which um, sort of came out of nowhere, and because um, that was when listed on the um, stock exchange, so he just basically bought um, shares and got a controlling stake in the club. Um, I think the speed that he went into taking the club, um, there was about 130 odd million um, in money that was owed to various um, companies and on various loans, so. Uh, he had to fork out extra um, as a cost of um, running too quick and not hitting or checking the books thoroughly enough. Yeah, I mean, interesting in in, a, in the research that I've been doing in, into some of these crazier owners, I've seen that the hallmark of poor owners is is definitely a very very fast turnover in managers. And I mean, Ashley sort of is the only one of the lot who doesn't hasn't really seen that happen. But the one that I did kind of highlight was. Kevin Keegan's reign as your manager, and it kind of followed that early optimism with Ashley where he brought Kevin Keegan back in and there was a sort of optimism that he was very much, you know, supporting the club and, and boosting it back up. Um, but Keegan reti- resigned in September 2008 complaining about uh, Dennis Wise's interference in team matters, and I think he was actually ended up being paid £2 million in compensation for basically being forced out. Um, interestingly enough, talking about the fact that 
um, after this weekend's game against Hull, Pardew might get sacked. The team that you played in the first game after Ke- Kevin Keegan's resignation was in fact Hull at home, and we won two one. So <laughs> just a little bit of a yeah, history repeating itself, perhaps. Interesting coincidence. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in terms of manager turnover, I think my, Ashley's at least been a little bit better in that, perhaps the wrong way around, in, in the sense of giving uh, Pardew an eight-year contract. That's just stupid. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he's, he's not Fergie, he's not Jose. He had just guided the club to a fifth-place finish, though, um, and I think he won the Manager of the Year award or something like that. Um, but eight years, probably a little bit over the top. Mm. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I'm not sure if there's... Uh, specific clauses in there where he can, uh, um, I guess, be dismissed if he doesn't achieve a certain minimum expectation or objective. Um, but you'd think the club, um, well, interestingly, you could probably say they, you know, knowing Mark Ashley, he didn't put such provisions into any contract, but <laughs> he learned from the, um, not checking the books when he first bought the club, and then hopefully he learned to, um, you know, put some clauses there that he can exercise if he wants to change and he doesn't want to put six seasons worth of uh, compensation to Pardew. Well, I think that's the issue, is that unless Pardew resigns or there is some some way that they can uh, break his contract, that that payout could actually be quite extensive. Um, yeah, I think Pardew's going to resign when he's sitting on a, um, you know, a golden ticket like that when he can get a nice payout if he just you know sticks to his guns and uh, uh, just tries to force the issue on, um, I guess, Mike Ashley to pull the trigger on him. But um, I think that's one of the things that initially a lot of new appreciated with Mike Ashley was the stability he brought to the club. Um, And he's, for better or worse, he's definitely fixed up our finances. Um, I think we're one of the few teams that um, makes a profit um, year on year. So uh, we're slowly um, paying off our debt. Um, I think Alan might have been similar um, for yeah. you guys in yeah. that uh, he provided like an interest-free loan to the club out of his own money. Um, I think I think yeah. Well, I think Alan's actually getting interest on his, but yeah. Um, oh, okay. I think it's at a very low rate sort of thing. Oh, so it's not yeah, yeah. like crippling yeah. the club, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, like we turned a profit uh, last year, so it's a similar sort of situation, I think. Oh, okay, that's good then. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but just just. Comparing uh, Ashley to some of the owners I had a look at, because I, I cast my mind to the championship and some of the crazier owners there and, and thought you can't go far beyond uh, the Massimo Salino at Leeds, the Venkies at Blackburn, and Owen Oyston, who people might know is actually the owner of Blackpool. I'll start with Owen Oyston, and he's actually been Blackpool's owner since 1988, but he was convicted of rape in 1996 and served three years of a six-year prison sentence and actually was still owner of Blackpool after he was released. Um, but but it's, it's the way that he's handled the club since their time in the Premier League that's really sort of, from a football side of things, where he's kind of come across quite poorly, where they sold Charlie Adams to Liverpool uh, after they got relocated for £7 million, after barely spending any of the money when they actually got promoted anyway. Uh, and he's actually pocketed most of that. And after Holloway left in November of 2012, that's when things really kind of went downhill for them. With I think Michael Appleton was appointed following Holloway's departure, and he left after just two months. Then they had Ince, 
and it started with 16 of 18 points from the following season, but was sacked because they lost nine of the next 10. And then that was last season. And then in the off season, we all know the story that they've lost 27 of their players and were only able to field 15 players in their opening game against Forest. So, and I think there's rumours that their manager might be on the verge of leaving as well. So, I mean, as I, I mentioned earlier about the quick turnover of managers, and you can see that Blackpool is certainly in the spot of bother in, in that regard. Yeah, it's just stupidity by some owners. Like, some owners just start, they interfere too much without knowing a lot about football. I mean, they all probably rip off Abramovich here, but they lack the money that Abramovich puts in. Yeah. Funnily enough, like the one curious fact I found about Owen Oyston, which I don't know if you know, Cookson, was apparently in the 90s he claimed that he'd been offered a controlling stake of Man United, but turned it down because they, the Football League wouldn't let him continue to have a controlling stake in Blackpool as well. Um, so he, he actually claimed, well, I mean, it's claimed, I don't know if it was ever actually backed up, that he could have had a controlling stake in United, but maybe that just adds to the fact that he's a bit of a crazy owner. Oh, uh, when... Was this? I was mid nineties, I think, off the top of my head. I was looking at it just before the podcast. I think he said ninety six or ninety seven. It might have been. I don't uh, think he. I think that's a lie because we were on the United was on the stock market at the time. Okay, yeah. Well, it's a PLC. Well, then there you go. So maybe that was just him sort of, you know, talking big about the fact that he loved Blackpool, trying to appease the fans or something like that. Um, the next set of owners to look at is, is the Venkies, who actually took over at a similar time to the Alums for uh, Hull, but. I mean, they took over in November 2010 and immediately sacked Sam Allardyce and replaced him with caretaker manager Steve Keane, who they then appointed uh, full-time, despite their relegation from the Premier League. He stayed in charge and uh, pretty out of the blue resigned after, I think it was after six games into the next season in the championship. And this, again, you know, hallmark of these crazy owners, they went through a very quick run of managers where they appointed, I think it was Henning Berg, first and he lasted 10 games and they appointed Appleton who lasted 67 days and then they appointed Gary Boyer from I think um, within and he's actually managed to stay in charge since then Um, but funnily enough uh, in a court case with Henningberg where he was trying to get a settlement payout from them Blackburn's own lawyers admitted the club was out of controls and a shambles Um, so another example of, of owners that I think, as you're saying, Cookson, it's the sort of... They've sacked Sam Allardyce, they've brought in a manager who they think will suit the style of play that they want, uh, and they might not have very much football knowledge themselves, and it can actually end up ruining a club like Blackburn, who, for a long time, were pretty much mainstays of the Premier League. Yeah, it's... Again, people start thinking they know a lot about football, and they don't. It's pretty much... They pretty much try to be... They want to be a Perez, they want to be Abramovich, but they just lack knowledge of football. And it's... It's, I think, and it's the same with um, Leeds, who I'll, I'll mention quickly after this, but they seem to want to appoint coaches and then have a footballing director who reports directly to them so that they have a much more you know, day-to-day control over the playing squad than um, at some clubs where you know the manager is left to just manage. Um, and it's actually one of the big compliments that Bruce plays, pays the Alums is the fact that he's able just to be left to manage. But... Um, Massimo Salino at Leeds, who's only just taken over, actually failed the failed the fit and proper test when he tried to take over, but was able to appeal and um, was successful with that. But there was the huge fiasco with Brian McDermott being sacked and then reinstated within a matter of days, sacked again at the end of the season, and they appointed Dave Hockaday, who I believe was the Forest Green Rovers manager in UFC. I don't know. If- um, yep, that's correct. Uh, he was actually dismissed um, from that position uh for poor results last season, so <laughs> surprising um, appointment to say the least. 
And I think one thing that Hull supporters loved about it was that Hockaday and his assistant, Junior Lewis, I believe, used to play for Hull. So for their grand sum of three months in charge, or 70 days, I believe, they were known as, you know, Agent Agent Dave and, and Junior because of the poor results they were getting for Leeds. But, um, yeah, after they lost 4-1 to Leeds, Salino thought, right, that's it, I'll, I'll sack Hockaday. Then he changed his mind and said, no, no, it's my fault that we've started so poorly. And then a few days later, changed his mind again and did sack Hockaday. So... Um, got rid of both of them, and again, it's just, yeah, he, he seems to think, I, I mean, he has a history of it with, I think it was at his club in Italy, he went through some ridiculous amount of managers, um, but it's just another example of, you know, revolving door with managers, you get no stability at the club. Um, I think they made, yeah, he made their under-18s and under-16s coaches redundant. They, the players, I think, washed their own uniforms and that sort of thing, so it's pretty bizarre cost-cutting methods. I think they have to bring their own packed lunches or something as well. <laughs> so, you hear about him and you make you think that our owners aren't as bad. Well, exactly. I mean, that's that's the reason I thought I'd bring these guys up. And he he's he's got a view that he'll buy back their stadium and that they'll be back in the Premier League by the end of next season, I believe. So I think he's said 2015-16 season promotion from the championship for them, which, to be fair, I mean, they'll be lucky if that's getting them promotion from League One. I think they're looking down the table rather than up at the moment. <laughs> Which is a long way from where they used to be. And there's also there's also nutty owners such as Muhammad Al Fayed and his statue of Mark Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I believe um, was it he's the one that the criticism's been levelled at for the reason that Fulham's gone downhill so much with his appointment of was it him who appointed Magath or was it no the new owners I don't know who the new the owners yeah. that would before Magath came in. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, Fulham are another one who could be in for a bit of trouble with um, the way that the clubs are getting run because I think they're at the foot of the championship at the moment. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they go. But I think I, th- I saved for last Asim Alam as the other major one to talk about as as our owner. And early on, he did have all the hallmarks of the crazier owners with um, Nigel Pearson leaving to go back to Leicester and he appointed Nick Barmby from within. And Barmby came out and criticised him for not making funds available. Uh, and so he got the sack at the end of the season, and I remember when I read that, it was kind of that instinct of, you know, here we go, this is going to be the big drop-off for us, because it's kind of, the bottom's going to come out of the club now, but um managed to appoint Steve Bruce, and the rest is history, but yeah, as you were saying before, and you'll see, it's a very similar story to you guys, that he came in and ploughed a lot of money into the club to really stabilise our finances, and we're now managing to turn a profit, but... I mean, our, our big issue is obviously not with the manager, but it's with the name change debate, and that's probably an, a topic for another time. But um, it is it, it is all about the fact that these owners do get into their heads that they're almost they're bigger than the club, they're bigger than the supporters. I mean, they know best, and they're not going to really listen to anyone else. I think Ashley at the start seemed to be quite willing to listen to to the supporters, but it's kind of changed a little bit with him, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, I think. Um the sort of word that was um, spread by Newcastle supporters was that um, Ashley was very, um, I guess, upset and hurt by the, um, I guess, the abuse that he got from uh, the fans who weren't happy with uh, some of his appointments, uh, such as Dennis Wise and uh, Joe Kinnear, who we shouldn't <laughs> go into. But um, And I think ever since he's sort of had a, the feelings that he's maybe had contempt towards the fans and yeah. um, he's now seeing the club as more of a asset that he can use to um, advertise his sports direct and um, his various sporting brands um, for his own his personal wealth and 
business needs, um, which is probably what a lot of Newcastle supporters are upset about is that he's in a way like just sort of asset stripping and sucking the enjoyment out of the club. Uh, so it's just a money maker for him these days. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting that obviously you guys are up for sale and so are Hull. So um, it's a pretty similar situation that both clubs find themselves in. But it's almost we're kind of going the other way. We're actually strengthening the squad to try and make it more attractive to buyers. And um, I think Alan said if he does get the name change and it is successful, he'll take the club off the market and fully committed to... I think he actually said that he wants to make us into a Champions League outfit, which I think's probably a little bit too ambitious. But um suppose you can you know, never say never, I guess, but... Um, it's interesting days ahead for both clubs, I suspect. Um, Cookson, I mean, your owners, it's a little bit different with you guys, but the, the amount of money that you have, uh, I think was it, you, you were quoting in one of the f- first podcasts the amount that you yes. pay on just interest payments. It was like 700 million we had to yeah, pay. On, um, on debt payments and that sort of thing. So, I mean, obviously your revenue streams are a lot higher and I think it was actually announced recently that you turned a profit this year. But, um, how, how, what's your opinion on the management of United or the ownership of United? Well, they probably, they didn't interfere at all in the footballing sense because Fergie probably wouldn't let them in. Again, we had Fergie and David Gill who knew what they were on about all the time. I mean, I mean, realistically, apart from the debt, they haven't really done anything bad apart from appointing David Moyes. <laughs> That's probably their Biggest mistake, and then they sacked him as soon as possible. I mean, to be fair, that was on the recommendation of Fergie as well. So, as you know, as you're saying, Fergie wouldn't let them interfere. So, when it came to that appointment, it was almost you know they had to listen to Fergie as well. Yeah, but essentially, I think how it is is that the Glazers don't really run the club as such. It's Woodward who runs the club, yeah. and as we can see, what he did this year, <laughs> good lad, Woody. Finally, uh, finally turned the corner and actually got some decent players in. Yeah, that's probably why because. Like, I reckon Fergie, he was, he got stingy near the end of his reign. I mean, he wouldn't cash out money or anything like that compared to Van Hal, who's like, yep, 60 million for Demir. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we missed out on what? Hazard, Lucas Mora. I'm trying to think of other players we missed out on the, uh, the, the two. We let Pog, uh, Pogba go, but I suppose that's not quite the same. Yeah, that was Fergie mistake, <laughs> not really Glazer. But yeah, I mean, apart from the debt, they've probably been generally quite good. Um, so, I mean, who, who do we reckon is probably the best owners in the Premier League at the moment? Who, I mean, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Um, I suppose Swansea seems to be quite well run with the way that uh, they into I mean, they don't own their stadium, and obviously you've got City as well and the massive it, development they're putting into the um, into the area. That's more of an ego project than for the City people. I mean, they're from Abu Dhabi. I mean, they're just like, we'll build a seven-star hotel. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be to be fair, when I was up there doing the tour, they I uh, saw the plans for the uh, the training ground and that sort of thing, which I think are actually open now. Uh, it's looking incredibly impressive, and and that's sort of long lasting. That you would expect they will still still be there as like a, a, as a testament to their ownership after they're gone. And I mean, as you say, it's probably an ego thing, but at the same time, it's a great thing for that club. Um, Chelsea's another one, obviously, where they've been absolutely transformed in the last 10, 15 years by Abramovich coming in and, and really turning that club around. The interesting thing, though, about Abramovich is that I second the only really thing he did was buy, was get Mourinho and let Mourinho do his thing because all the good players kind of transferred before Abramovich came in. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, who was around before, um, because Abramovich came in in what, 05? I think it was 2000 and after 2003. 
Uh, yeah, okay, oh, 03, oh, 04 or something, yeah. Because they had, what, Terry, Mourinho, or Terry, Czech? Lampard. No, I don't Czech think Czech was no. uh, Still. Yeah. Couple we could probably make Dan that our, like, the Premier League's ownership is kind of flawed, especially when you compare it to, well, probably what they have in the Bundesliga. And, again, with the two big La Liga giants. But, yeah. again, the Bundesliga has, what, the 50-plus one rule, which means the fans must own, the fans or members must own 51% of the club. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, then they probably... What significance does that actually, like, what difference does that make in terms of the running of the club to the Premier League, in, in terms of practicalities? All I know is that I think you have the usual, the, like, they elect the president or something. I know in the two Spanish clubs, they elect the president. I mean, that's how... I mean, Perez got in because he promised the first time because he would sign Luis Figo, which seemed impossible at the time. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except Figo had the release clause. And then he got in again because he promised he would sign Kakar and Ronaldo. And then recently, wasn't it something... Was it again about bail? Yeah. Yeah. For re-election and, yeah. Pretty much they get in by... Well, Real Madrid's presidents get in by saying, I will sign this person. <laughs> Barcelona, I think... I think they did the same except they had Nunez who was in for quite a while, like 20 something years. Except he eventually fell out massively with Van Hal and massively with the members. Then, yeah, they elected Lapatora who put in right card and one thing led to another. But I think in Germany what they do is they, I think Bayern Munich they have like, since it's up there, Munich. Cause I know they have New Uli Hoeness ran the club officially, but then they have Pretty much everyone, they got like, some current board, they got, again, people who from, they got, because they aren't also be by Adidas and Audi, they have seats on the board, they have people from their sponsors, and again, pretty much they use their businessmen who own part of the company, businessmen who own, the businesses who own a part of the company, they get some board members in, and then they have some ex-footballers also on the board, such as Ruminej and Matthias Sammer. I have a feeling that Swansea actually might be part um, supporter owned. Uh, it just just seems to be in my mind that they might be, but um, I'm not sure if that's the case. What uh, um, knows it that having the supporters own it? I think it's law in Germany, and that results means tickets are cheaper. Yeah, the Swansea uh, the Swansea City Supporters Society owns 20% of the club, yeah. and it's the most high profile example of the involvement of a supporters trust in the direct running of a club in the Premier League. Yeah, it's um, probably. So I think it's probably going to be the way... You'd expect that's going to be the way it'll go eventually. Maybe not necessarily to the same extent as in Germany, but you'd expect that you'll start to see supporters having a larger say in the running of clubs. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, that's the whole point. I think the whole message we're getting out of this segment is um, owners who don't actually have the club's best interests at heart and are only in it for either, in, you know, themselves or because they think, you know, it's a bit of a pet project for them, uh, it can really kill quite successful clubs. I mean, in the clubs that I talked about, Blackburn were former Premier League winners. You know, Leeds used to be quite a high-profile club as well. These aren't small clubs, and they're pretty much being destroyed because of, you know, men's egos. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty much it's not NFL. This isn't any other sport. I mean, you make mistakes, there are big consequences to be had. Yeah. Um, any any final thoughts in UFC? Um. Oh, just an interesting poll result that I saw uh, during the week. Um, one of the local Newcastle papers uh, was 
asking um, if you had the choice of uh, staying in the Premier League with Mike Ashley or uh, being relegated and having new owners, uh, what would you prefer? And I think it was 70% or upwards of 70% were saying they'd take the relegation. So mm. that's pretty damning, um, I guess, signal of how things are at the moment. And um, just with our game, um, SM, on the weekend, there's a, a large protest being planned. I think they've got um, something like 15,000 banners they're going to try and sneak in and um, put in amongst the crowd. So um, it could be a very volatile atmosphere. And um, if, if we score an early goal, I can, I can just imagine how how tense it's going to get in, in that stadium. Yeah. Because um, I think, I mean, like a lot of Hull supporters are talking about the fact that the importance of getting an early goal because that'll just completely crush the um, spirit of the team as it did against Southampton. So, um, yeah, it will be it will be, will be a very interesting one. Um, but we might sign off on that note because I think actually, you know, it's a pretty pretty interesting message I think we can take out of this segment. So thank you, thank you if you've had a listen to this one because it was quite an interesting chat. So thank you boys for, for sticking around and, and talking about that. No worries. No worries at all. Uh, and again, if you if you listen to the main podcast as well, thanks for listening to that. And we'll see you around next week. But until then, we'll see you on the forums.